Ahoy mateys! Welcome to Podcasts of the Caribbean, a podcast covering the world of Pirates of the Caribbean, from the movies, to books, to theme parks, to everything in between. My name is Justin Helmer, and I will be your host on this voyage through the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl premiered at the Disneyland Resort in California on June 28, 2003. It released to the general public on July 9, 2003. Up to this point, Disney's track record with theme park attraction-based movies was not too good. They, they put out a few up to this point. There was the Tower of Terror movie, uh, there was the Country Bears movie, but none of them took off, none of them were good. So Disney was taking a huge risk making another theme park attraction-based movie, which was Pirates of the Caribbean. The director they got for Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl was Gore Verbinski, who at the time was still a pretty new director. Um, right before Pirates of the Caribbean, he directed The Ring, which is now kind of a classic horror movie, but he really hadn't done too much other directing uh, before this movie, so... I'm actually surprised that Disney put a lot of trust in Gore um, because this movie was expensive. And um, coupled with that was the fact that pirate movies and the pirate genre in cinema hadn't been doing well for decades. In the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, pirate movies were pretty much all the rage with people. Um, you, know, you had movies like Captain Blood, Crimson Pirate. Uh, all these movies were doing fantastically at the box office. Um, people were really into pirates back then. Uh, the romanticization of the pirate um, lifestyle was big. Um, but once we got further and farther away from that golden age, so to speak, pirate movies didn't do well. Um, in 1995, Cutthroat Island released... And that was a massive flop at the box office. It was a hugely expensive movie, and it flopped super hard. So it's pretty crazy that a few years after that, Disney would put all this money and all this effort into this film. So as we all know, Pirates of the Caribbean became a huge success after it released, shattered expectations, and it really reinvigorated the pirate genre of cinema and pirates really became popular again. So without further ado, let's get into Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. You don't know what this is, do you? Aztec gold. The heathen gods placed upon the gold a terrible curse. 10 years we've searched. Every last piece we have found, save for this. So what you just heard there was the opening of the Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl trailer. Um, I love that trailer a lot. I thought it was a cool thing to kind of kick off this podcast episode. Um, so let's get into the film. So we open up with, um, as I call it, Fogbound, which is the very first scene of our film. Um, we have the Dauntless, which is one of the three ships that we'll see in this film um, going across the sea, and we have a young girl singing a song on deck. The song she's singing is Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life For Me. This is a song that was written for the Pirates of the Caribbean Disneyland attraction. 
Um, it was written by Disney legend and Imagineer Exitensio, uh, who did a lot for Disney. He also wrote the Grim Grinning Ghosts song for the Haunted Mansion attraction, um, if you're familiar with that as well. But we find out that this young girl is Elizabeth Swan, one of our main characters. So it's a very popular theory that Elizabeth is actually the main character of Pirates 1, 2, and 3 um, because of how ginormous her character arc is, and also because the first movie opens with Elizabeth and the third movie closes with Elizabeth, um, seeing Will come back in the end credit scene. So a lot of people like tend to think that she is the main character, and I mean, it's a very plausible theory. I enjoy the theory as well. Um, the screenwriters of Pirates of the Caribbean, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, they also said that Elizabeth was supposed to be or was going to be the main character of the film, at least in the script. But we have Elizabeth on here. Um, this is young Elizabeth. I think she's around like eight or nine, nine or ten, somewhere around that range. Um, the ages in Pirates of the Caribbean have never been confirmed, so it's kind of just, you kind of have to guess. But we have Elizabeth, and someone comes up behind her, and this someone is Joshmi Gibbs, who was played by Kevin R. McNally. Um, of course, Gibbs is a very important character in Pirates of the Caribbean, and this is the first time we see him. He's currently in the Navy, which he isn't in the Navy in the rest of the films, so you're probably wondering, oh, what happens to him? We'll find out later. After that, we have another character introduction to Lieutenant James Norrington, who was played by Jack Davenport. Um, I love Norrington. I think he's such a cool character, and I think his arc throughout the first three films is great. Norrington, of course, right now, he's a lieutenant. This is, you know, eight years before the present-day events. And even this early on, we know that Norrington hates pirates. He despises piracy. He wants to cleanse it from the ocean. Um, he says a ton of stuff about it to Elizabeth here, where he wants to hang all pirates. He wants to give them the fate they deserve, um, because they are nothing more than... Criminals, thieves, cutthroats, brigands, you name it. Um, so after, of course, he tells Elizabeth this, uh, we have another character introduction. We're getting all the character introductions right now. Um, we have Governor Weatherby Swan, who is Elizabeth's father, uh, played by Jonathan Price, a very respected actor in our pirate franchise here. Um, I really like Weatherby Swan. Um, he's really one of the only parental figures we have in the franchise, um, besides Will's father, of course, and Jack's father. But being one of the only kind of parental figures, um, I think it's cool that we do get kind of an establishment and a bit of, you know, um, development with him and Elizabeth's relationship. And we see that early on in this film, not just in this scene, but the scene that follows afterward, that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, and Governor Swan, of course, uh, he doesn't like all of this pirate stuff getting into Elizabeth's brain. Uh, he doesn't want her to be corrupted, so to speak. Um, so he uh, tells Norrington to take his leave. And Elizabeth then says to her father, I think it'd be rather exciting to meet the pirate. Um, and which Weatherby Swan replies, yes, that's what concerns me. Um, so after this scene, of course, Elizabeth sees a parasol floating in the ocean. 
Um, and then she pans over again. She sees a young boy adrift on a piece of driftwood. Um, so she calls out, the boy in the water. And Norrington and his men bring him up. Uh, this young boy, who is very mysterious, he has a gold medallion around his neck. Um, Elizabeth is very curious about that. And then Gibbs points out the ship that this boy has come from, which is currently on fire, blown to pieces, and sinking into the ocean. Governor Swan's like, what happened here? Who, who could have done this? And it's very, very hard to say who could have done this in a movie that's called Pirates of the Caribbean, but Gibbs then, of course, says pirates, and then Governor Swan doesn't believe him, He's like, oh, there's no way there would be pirates in these waters. Um, but Gibbs knows it was pirates, and Norrington brings uh, a few boats of crewmen out to the ship to search for survivors. And while he does that, Governor Swan tells Elizabeth to accompany the boy um, and kind of get to know him a bit. So she goes up on deck and um, wakes up our other character, who is very important, and is revealed to be William Turner, um, who is my personal favorite character of Pirates of the Caribbean. I'll say that right now. Will Turner is the best character in this franchise, and I will not have it disputed any other way. So if you want to argue with me about that, you should just stop listening to this podcast now, because I am a Will Turner fanboy. Anyway, um, Elizabeth then sees the medallion around his neck. Um, Will only really says his name, and Elizabeth says, I'm watching over you, and then he passes back out. Uh, so he's definitely had a trying day. But Elizabeth sees the medallion, which is the first time we see the Aztec medallion in this film, which happens to be a very important artifact. So after Will passes out, she sees this medallion and she takes it off Will, because she thinks that he is a pirate. And she knows that if everyone else thought he was a pirate, he would have probably been killed. So she takes it off of him, so Will is spared. And Norrington asks, has he said anything? Elizabeth's like, nope, he's only said his name. That's all I found out. And Norrington has his men take Will below. And it's in this moment here where Elizabeth holds up the Aztec medallion out to the foggy water that she sees the silhouette of the Black Pearl sailing in the distant ocean. And her eyes go wide, she shuts them, and she opens them again, and we're eight years into the future. So that's the opener of this film. Um, that's, now we're in present day period, or present day, I should say, present day 17-something. Uh, as I said before, ages aren't really defined, neither are the years. We kind of just have a very rough period of time that these films took place. I think Curse of Black Pearl is supposed to be around the 1720s. Um, so I'll do my best to kind of give years and how time is progressing as we get through this. Um, but of course, we're now in the present day. Elizabeth wakes up from her dream. And now we are introduced to Elizabeth, who is being played by Kira Knightley. Um, here is our first Kira Knightley fact I will share with you all. Kira Knightley was only 17 years old when she played Elizabeth in this first film. 
she was only 17. Think about that. Can you believe being 17 years old in this crazy huge movie being produced by Disney? And she was flawless. Her performance in this film is absolutely fantastic. I wish I was as talented as Keira Knightley. Let me tell you, I wish. Um, but yeah, I will be praising Keira Knightley. I'll be praising all of the actors in these films because they pull off these characters so well. Um, and it's one of the reasons why this franchise is so good. It's because of the actors who play these characters. But anyway, Elizabeth gets out of her bed. She opens up her drawer and takes the Aztec medallion out of a secret compartment. So she's hidden it over these years. And when she takes it out, there's a whole very, very visible uh, film of dust on top of the medallions. It's obviously very obvious that she hasn't touched this in years. Maybe she forgot about it and the dream made her remember. Or maybe she just doesn't, didn't want to touch it because... It was too much of a a problem having a pirate medallion, of course, in possession. Uh, so she's hidden it away. Maybe she forgot. Maybe she just didn't want to see it. But she takes it out. She wipes it off. She puts it on. And her father barges in with her maids. Um, so this is where we get kind of present day aged up Elizabeth with Weatherby Swan. Weatherby Swan now has a gray wig. I forgot to say that he had a brown wig. Um, him and Narrington both had brown wigs in our beginning sequence, but they now both have white wigs. Um, so he has a gift for Elizabeth. She opens it up. It's a new dress um, from England. And she inquires as the occasion. Governor Swan first says that it there is no occasion, but when she's starting to get changed, he does tell her that he hoped she would wear it to Commodore Norrington's promotion ceremony. Um, and she's like, I knew it. So, of course, now we have mention of Norrington, who is still around. He is being promoted to Commodore. And this is also where we get our first mention of Elizabeth in a corset. Um, how she thinks it's very tight. This will come back later in a nice payoff moment. Um, but while she's getting dressed... We have another person in the foyer of the governor's mansion, and now we are introduced to Orlando Bloom, who is playing Will Turner. I also love Orlando Bloom. I've always loved Orlando Bloom, and he is the best. I just, I'm an Orlando Bloom, Will Turner fanboy, and you'll recognize that very early on in this podcast. <laughs> um, and then we also have a very famous meme. Um, moment here where Will breaks the sconce off the wall. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite moments, it comes back later on. I won't say when, but it, if you've seen the movies, you'll know, but I do love when it comes back later on. But why is Will at the governor's mansion? Well, he is delivering a sword that he has made for Commodore Narrington. Well, I guess I kind of gave it away already, but Will did make the sword, but no one will believe Will made the sword because he is only an apprentice to Mr. Brown, who is the blacksmith he is working for. Um, and we get this quote when Weatherby Swan does say, do pass my compliments uh, onto your master. And Will kind of grimaces really quick, and he's like, yeah, I shall. A craftsman is always pleased to hear his work is appreciated. So we, we know that Will made the sword. We know that Will is very, very talented. Um... 
And it's in this moment after Will flips the sword and shows Governor Swan that Elizabeth walks down the stairs and we get our first interaction between them um, grown up. So I love this scene. I am a big Willabeth fan. Um, that's also something you'll know early on. And I love this first scene of, of Will and Elizabeth together. Um, you know, Will still calls her Miss Swan and Elizabeth wants her to, wants him to call her Elizabeth. And it's, it's just great. It's, it's great. And of course he doesn't call her Elizabeth. She walks out the door, gets in the carriage and he says, good day, Elizabeth says, says her name for the very first time. Um, and now we get rolling into another character introduction, um, which obviously everyone will know the most iconic character of this franchise, the most famous character of this franchise, none other than Captain Jack Sparrow, played by none other than Johnny Depp. So we're now at, you know, the famous Jack Sparrow entrance, what, probably one of the most iconic, one of the most famous scenes in movie history. Um, I don't think they could have had a better introduction for a character um, especially for a character like Jack Sparrow. Uh, we're just getting introduced to him, but this entrance scene gives us all the information we need to know about Jack Sparrow right here in this one scene. So he's standing, of course, on top of the mast with the flag all heroic, and we're like, oh, this is a pirate to be reckoned with. You know, he is, he is accomplished, he has got a ship, and he jumps off the mast, and you find out he's in a dinghy. So... It's this really great moment of this illusion of glory that Jack has that really all it is is just kind of behind a facade of, you know, theatrics. And I really love that mirroring and that illusion that we see here. Um, and of course, the boat is now sinking, which is even worse for Jack. Thankfully, he's getting closer to the dock, but this scene gives us all we need to know about Jack. You know, he is a great pirate, but he's also, you know, he's not the best pirate. He makes some mistakes, but he's very crafty, and he knows what he wants, and he knows how to get what he wants, and we'll find that out later in the movie. Um, but this boat is something that is shown in a Pirates of the Caribbean short film, actually the only Pirates of the Caribbean short film that's ever been made. I wish, we, I wish they made more, but they only made one, uh, it was filmed um, with Dead Man's Chest and At World's End, of course, because both of those films were filmed at the same time. If you haven't seen it, I'm referring to the short film called Wedlocked, which features a bunch of characters that we have not gotten to introduce ourselves with yet. So I won't talk about it yet. That'll be something we talk about in full in a later episode. But I'll mention it here because we see Jack's boat that we see here in this film at the end of that short film. So if you do want to see that short film, it is on YouTube. It's, I think it's a DVD extra on On Stranger Tides, I believe. Um, but I do recommend go watch that. We'll cover it in a, in a following episode um, because it is a great short film and I really enjoy it. Um, so while Jack is bailing out water from the boat, um, we see a few skeletons that are hanging from the rocks and we have a Pirate's Ye Be Warned sign. Uh, so one of the skeletons on this, uh, whatever it is, hanging, a hanging grave, honestly, 
it's not a gibbet or anything like that. It's just kind of just uh, them hanging there. One of the skeletons hanging there is supposedly supposed to be Calico Jack, um, who is a, a real pirate who existed, uh, Jack Rackham, if you are familiar with pirate history and pirate lore. Um, one of the kind of most famous, most known pirates to a lot of people. A lot of people, of course, tend to believe that, you know, Calico Jack was the inspiration for Jack Sparrow. They both share the same name. They both kind of had the same kind of flair, the same kind of personality. They both kind of wore nice clothes. And um, so a lot of people do like to say that Calico Jack did inspire Jack Sparrow. And I, I would believe that. It's very, very obvious. Um, but what Johnny Depp said in uh, influenced Jack Sparrow was the Looney Tunes character Pepe Le Pew and uh, Keith Richards, who will pop up later on. We'll get to that in a few movies. That's what Johnny says influenced Jack Sparrow. I like to think that, you know, when Jack does his kind of... Um, honor when he takes his hat off and salutes him that it's kind of like a send-off to kind of the inspiration for the character so we finally get to the dock jack's ship is now completely sunk um and all that is above water is the top of the mast and he barely makes it onto the dock right before the ship sinks i should say right before the dinghy sinks he doesn't have a ship right now that's why he's in port royal he's looking for a ship so he's going across the dock. He's stopped by the harbor master, um, who says, you know, it's not free to park your boat at the dock. And they look back to the boat, which is now completely sunk. All you can see is the crow's nest and the flag above water. But, of course, Jack uh, bribes, the, bribes the harbor master, um, who then, of course, calls him uh, Mr. Smith, uh, which this, this name, Mr. Smith, comes back a few times in Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, there's a few important Smith characters, and there's also just some funny gags with the name Smith that we'll get to. Um, so Jack has made it out of his first situation. He goes into his next one um, when he sees the Interceptor um, in the harbor. He's stopped by two characters that will now be introduced to us. We have Murtog and Mulroy. Murtog and Mulroy, of course, are played by Giles New and Angus Barnett. Um, they are in this first film, and they also are recurring characters through the rest of the franchise. They are really fun. I love them. They're great. Two great comic relief characters. They complement each other well. Um, they have a lot of great gags, and they're just, they're the best. I love them. I love them so much, and they have a great arc in this franchise, which we'll get to as we go through these films, but I think they're fantastic side characters, and their, conversa their conversation with Jack here in this scene is one of my favorites um, in this movie, um, because Jack is, yeah, I'm like, well, I'm here to get a ship. He tells them the truth. They don't believe the truth. Um... They don't want to believe that he actually is there to commandeer a ship, to take it out to Tortuga, raid, pillage, and plunder, and otherwise pilfer his Weasley black guts out. The Black Pearl is mentioned in this scene by Jack Sparrow, and Murtaugh and Mulroy both kind of laugh it off, but 
Murtaugh is, you know, no, the Black Pearl is real. I've seen it. And they have this kind of conversation about the Black Pearl being real or not. And in this situation, Jack Sparrow goes on to the Interceptor, gets on the wheel, and that's when Murtaugh and Mulroy come on the ship. And Jack kind of lulls him into a nice little nice little truce here where he starts telling him a bunch of stories um, about how something made him uh, their chief, uh, which I guess might be a kind of reference to what happens in Dead Man's Chest, but they wouldn't have written the script for that yet, so I'm not sure what what that is or what this really references. But yeah, so Jack mentions that there is a party going on at the fort, which of course is Commodore Narrington's promotion ceremony. Um, he receives the sword from Will and everything, and he gets promoted, and he wants to have a quick moment with Elizabeth um, at the fort. Fort Charles was built um, around the 1650s in Jamaica, which is, of course, where Port Royal is. But the Fort Charles that they are on is not the Fort Charles that's in Jamaica. This Fort Charles was a set that was built um, on what used to be a theme park. Um, so this area where they built this set was you, what you, it used to be known as a theme park called Marineland. This was a theme park that was in California. That's where they had the fort set, so they didn't actually film it on the actual fort in Jamaica because they didn't actually shoot in Jamaica. They actually shot all of Port Royal um, on the island of St. Vincent. So they built some sets there, and they enlisted you know, the local, the local uh, people who live there to help with the production of the film. They got the whole island kind of working together when they filmed this movie which I thought was pretty cool. I believe some of the buildings that they built for Port Royal still actually stand in St. Vincent. I'm not too sure on that, but I think there are some buildings that are still there that are Pirates of the Caribbean themed, um, still in St. Vincent. I would have to still check, I would have to check and get back to you on that if they are still there. I would love to take a visit to St. Vincent, oh man. I would love to go to any Caribbean island. I've been to Nassau. That's a story for another time. Let's get back to Pirates of the Caribbean before I get too sidetracked on Caribbean vacations, which let me know if you've been on a Caribbean vacation because they are the best. So Elizabeth and Norrington are sharing a quick moment on the fort. Um, and this is when Norrington proposes to Elizabeth. Um, he wants to marry Elizabeth. She's a fine woman. Um, it's, it's, you know, he's been promoted. He's in a stable job. It's time for him to, you know, find a wife. And Elizabeth, with the tight corset she has on, can barely breathe. And this announcement is coming as a shock to her. And she starts to faint. And she falls off. She just falls right off. Fort Charles, and this is why OSHA was founded, because there was no railings on a fort. <laughs> OSHA was founded because Elizabeth Swan fell off a fort in 1720. <laughs> um, so she falls into the water, Jack, Murtaugh, and Mulroy see it, and Jack jumps in to save her. Um, so we get kind of a little bit more on Jack's character here. He is a good man. You know, he's a pirate, but he is a good man. Um, he will save people that, you know, require saving. 
And it's in this scene where Elizabeth is in the water that the medallion that she still has around her neck pulses in the ocean. And Murtaugh and Mulroy see the, um, the wave, the pulse wave that kind of ripples across the sea. And then the wind picks up, the storm clouds set in, and the whole mood changes. The kind of the mysterious ghostly music starts to come on. Um, as the soldiers kind of run down to the docks. And Jack cuts open Elizabeth's corset. Mulroy's like, I never would have thought of that. And Jack responds and says, clearly you've never been to Singapore. Which, we haven't been to Singapore yet, but we'll get there in a few movies. So Norrington, Weatherby Swan, and some more of his men um, reach the dock. They take Elizabeth out of Jack's reach. And it's in this moment where Norrington um, realizes that he is a pirate and he is Jack Sparrow. As he rips it, his sleeve, sees the pirate brand on his wrist. So Norrington sees Jack's um, Sparrow tattoo, which makes him realize it's Jack Sparrow, the pirate, the famous pirate. Um, so he goes through all of Jack's gear. He sees his compass, which doesn't point north. Um, a pistol with no additional shot nor powder, and he pulls out his sword, and he's like, I half expected it to be made of wood. Um, and then we get the famous quote, this is a bi the biggest meme, honestly, of Pirates of the Caribbean, you're, de you're without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of, and Jack responds, but you have heard of me. So because Jack is a pirate, um, Weatherby Swan and Norrington, of course, want to hang him, um, and Elizabeth intervenes in this moment, and, you know, she says, Pirate or not, this man saved my life. And Norrington responds and says, One good deed is not enough to redeem a man of a lifetime of wickedness. And Jack says, Though it seems enough to condemn him. And Norrington says, Indeed. Um, and in this moment, Jack see, uh, seizes his opportunity, and he grabs Elizabeth by the neck with his shackles, and he barters for his effect, his gear back, so he gets it back from Murtaugh and Mulroy, and he releases Elizabeth after, of course, he says his famous quote, This will be the day, you'll remember, as the day that you almost caught Captain Jack Sparrow. And he throws her back, disorients the guards, and he smashes whatever that thing is, and he flies up on the rope and swings around and makes his escape. Narrington um, orders his men to open fire. Jack makes his escape, runs into town. The guards follow Narrington tells Gillette, who is, of course, another side character here, um, that Mr. Sparrow has a dawn appointment with the gallows. I'd hate for him to miss it. So Norrington's men start start uh, searching the town, and Jack is currently hiding behind this statue, which is right in front of Mr. Brown's blacksmith shop, which is, of course, where Will works. So he runs in, and this is one of my favorite scenes in the film. Um, so he's inside the blacksmith shop, and he's trying to figure out a way to break his shackles off and he hears someone stir in the back and he looks and sees and it's Mr. Brown who was asleep. Um, he's passed out drunk as usual. Um, so Jack has this great scene of trying to wake him up and he screams at him and Mr. Brown doesn't budge so Jack's like okay. So he just starts taking out tools trying to break his shackles off and he then sees the donkey gets the donkey moving with the hot iron um, and breaks his shackles in the gears moving um, and it's in this moment once he breaks his shackles the door opens and Jack hides 
because Will Turner has come back to work um, from his errand. He's made it back. And he sees that things are not where he left them. Um, and he reaches for the hammer on the anvil, and Jack taps his hand with the sword, and this is where we get Will and Jack meeting for the first time, leading into their first fight scene, which I think is one of the best scenes of the franchise, one of the best sword fights of the franchise. Personally, one of my favorite scenes of the franchise as well. Um, so Jack notices in this moment that this guy looks familiar to him, um, so, you know, he says, you know, you seem somewhat f familiar. Have I threatened you before? And Will says, you know, I, I make a point of avoiding familiarity of pirates. And Jack tries to leave. Will doesn't let him. So Jack, you know, he, he's like, you think this wise, you know, crossing blades with a pirate? And then Will says, you threatened Miss Swan. And the Jack says, only a little. And this is when they start fighting. And we have some great choreography for this fight. Um, done by the swordmaster on the film, um, whose name was Bob Anderson. Uh, this guy is a legend in Hollywood, not just not just in Hollywood, but he's a great, great, awesome stuntman, and he's done so much stuff. Um, you know, he also worked on Lord of the Rings as well, so him and Orlando were already kind of familiar with each other. Um, he did a whole bunch of he he. Um, was a swordmaster and you know Star Wars, uh, Zorro, the Princess Bride, Highlander. He did a ton of films. Where, where you think of a good sword fight, you think of Bob Anderson. That's kind of that's what Jeffrey Rush says in one of the extras for the Curse of Black Pearl. Um, so Bob Anderson, let's give some history with him real quick. Pirate history, of course. Um, so. So Bob Anderson was um, a choreographer for Errol Flynn back in the 50s. Um, and he accidentally um, stabbed Errol Flynn on his thigh, which uh, led to him being called the man who stabbed Errol Flynn. So that was kind of his big thing. But um, Bob Anderson is a great guy. He did all the sword fights for this film, and on, they are fantastic fights. Um absolutely fantastic and i just love um how you know he blends the actual acting of the character and he blends the character into the sword fight so it's not just the sword fight it's also the characters um in the sword fight so you have the character and the sword combine them together and you have a good story moment so we have this great fight scene um and while they're fighting we do get a shot of when when jack and will of course are at crossed blades um, we have a shot of where Will is holding up his sword and his sleeve uh, falls down a bit. Um, and in this scene, you can actually see a tattoo on Orlando's wrist. Um, and this was actually Orlando's elvish tattoo that he got after filming Lord of the Rings. Uh, so all of the people, all the actors who were in the Fellowship, they all got elvish tattoos after production wrapped. So you can see that tattoo here very briefly. Um, so, they, yeah, they didn't uh, mask that up, which is a nice little goof. But they have this great fight. Um, you know, we have some story development of, you know, Will is great at making a sword, and he's also great at using a sword. He practices um, three hours a day, and this is when uh, Jack says, uh, you need to find yourself a girl, mate. And then he also says, 
Or perhaps the reason you practice three hours a day is because you've already found one and are otherwise incapable of wooing said Strongbird. And then he asks Will if he's a eunuch, and then Will, of course, replies, you know, I practice three hours a day, so when I meet a pirate, I can kill it. And they keep fighting, they jump up to the rafters, um, and they have an excellent, excellent sword fight. Jack cheats at the end. Um, he sprays the dirt into Will's face, kicks his sword out of his hand, um, and aims his pistol at Will. Um, and it's in this moment, Will is once again blocking Jack's way of escape, and Narrington's men are at the door trying to bust it down, because Will pinned it shut with his sword. Um, so Jack pleads for Will to get out of the way. He doesn't want to kill Will, he doesn't want to shoot him, and he says a very important line that a lot of people might not pick up on the first time around, um, where he's, he, tell, he tells Will, this shot is not meant for you. And Will looks perplexed, but not for the, for that reason, because he's seeing Mr. Brown, who's been asleep this whole time, gets up and smashes his rum bottle onto Jack's head and knocks him out. And this is the moment where Narrington and his men break into the blacksmith shop, and Narrington says, Excellent work, Mr. Brown. You've assisted in the capture of a dangerous fugitive. And Mr. Brown replies, Just doing my civic duty, sir. And then we have a great a great shot of Will where he just rolls his eyes and is just like, oh, here we go again. Once again, taking credit for what I did. So it's now nighttime. Uh, time passes and we're now... It's nighttime. Uh, Elizabeth is getting ready for bed. And then we have our introduction to Estrella, who is Elizabeth's maid in this scene. Um, she's putting some a bed warmer under Elizabeth's covers. Um, and... You know, she is talking with Elizabeth, you know, you know, you had a pretty trying day today, and Elizabeth's like, what? I don't, you know, she, like, doesn't, like, think about anything, but then Estrella's like, you know, you know, being threatened by that pirate sounds terrifying, you know, and Elizabeth's like, oh, yeah, being threatened by a pirate, oh, yeah, that was terrifying. Um, so, you know, it kind of shows that Elizabeth, like, enjoyed that, she wasn't scared, she enjoyed that kind of bit of adventure that she had, even though it wasn't much, she enjoyed it. Um, and, of course, Estrella says, you know, oh, yeah, but the Commodore proposed, that's a fine match. And Elizabeth's like, yeah, it is a fine match. Any man, any woman would dream of marrying, you know, Commodore Norrington. But then Estrella then comes back and says, but that Will Turner, he's a fine man too, and I have to agree with Estrella in this moment. Will Turner is a fine man, but of course, um, she's speaking a little bit out of line, so Elizabeth says, you know, that is too bold. Um, so Estrella leaves Elizabeth um, in her bedchambers by herself, and Elizabeth is fondling the medallion that's still around her neck, and as she does so, the flame on her bedside table starts to flicker. So this is um, our indication that something big is about to happen that'll change all of these characters' lives, but that is something we'll get to in the next episode. This is going to be the end of our first episode here, um, so next time we talk again, we'll be talking about the next part of, of Curse of the Black Pearl. So, I mean, it depends. So, I depending on the feedback that I get here, um, that'll kind of decide the episode length. Do I want to do over an hour? Do I want to keep below an hour? 
you know, how long do people want to listen? Do I want the whole movie in a whole episode? You know, stuff like that. Um, so it's kind of that feedback that I'm looking for. If you want to see the whole movie in an episode or, uh, you know, over an hour episode, that'll be great. And then we could really get into this action here. Um, but we'll call it here. Next time, we'll pick up right where we left off on Curse of the Black Pearl. We have a whole ton of Pirates of the Caribbean to talk about. And I am very excited to be starting this podcast. We have a ton of stuff. We have the movies. We have the books. We have the theme park attractions. We have video games. We have original scripts for films. We have canceled toy lines and comics and all kinds of crazy stuff that even you might not know about, uh, even if you're a big Pirates of the Caribbean fan. So if you love Pirates of the Caribbean, stick around. I really hope you'll enjoy this podcast um, because I am really enjoying talking about it at length with people, hopefully with people, if people are actually listening to me rant about Pirates of the Caribbean for almost an hour already. Um, But that'll call it for this first episode. Podcast of the Caribbean is in no way affiliated with Disney. If you want to send me an email or a question, send it over to podcastofthecaribbean at gmail.com. You can also follow this podcast on Twitter at podcastpotc. I'll be posting content and other fun stuff for all you all to check out over there, so make sure to go follow on Twitter. Be sure to keep a weather eye on the horizon, and always remember, dead men tell no tales.